0: Uh, welcome to the John Lyon Podcast. This is episode 45. I've almost been doing this for a year. Uh, today we have a first time ever guest, Garrick Hargrove. Is Correct. that how you pronounce it? Yep. Does anyone ever add an, a D to the end of your name?
1: They do. Yeah. It's weird.
0: That's how people add an S at the end of my name, Lions.
1: Oh, so there's more than one of you.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what my mom would say. Mom was like, just tell them there's a lot of us, but there's no S. Because there's six kids and two parents, so. Ooh, anyway. what a pride. How was your week? Pretty good. Yeah. So you have a third kid who just came. What, how old is she now? Uh, Three weeks on Saturday. Three weeks. Our baby just hit one month. And just, I still was eating, I was eating in and out today (laughs) because we didn't feel like cooking.
1: (laughs) We have like freezer meals. There you go. (laughs) go.
0: And I was looking at my baby. I was like, I still don't feel like you're my kid. It just,
1: I don't know if it gets more normal, the more kids you have, or if it's just the same feeling times three. As they grow and you live with them and experience them and they start doing things, you're like, oh crap, that's my kid. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's the, I think, yeah, when they start to show more personality and like they talk back to you, I guess. and Or they're just doing stuff. Yeah. I'm always still like the weirded out, like phase of like, can she really hear? Like, cause I don't know, I'm paranoid. Like I want my kid to be perfect health health wise so i'm just like oh she's not like startling to certain noises or something like that but she is sometimes yeah although. those
1: hearing tests you're like i don't trust you. well yeah
0: because like when i was in the <laughs> hospital for the first day they do those random tests they'll take him out of the room they're like oh dad do you want to come and see this and like the lady the nurse put the thing in her ear and tested it and was like oh your baby's hearing's good like she has no excuse to not listen to you or something like that but then <laughs> i don't know there's just like this paranoia of like you don't know if anything's going to change physically or something like that. I oh, don't know. for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, but, yeah, that's, so I, I, I'm a, my baby's a month old, so I don't know if I'm considered not a newbie as far as a parent goes, or if I, I don't know what threshold you have to hit to not be considered a newbie dad. One wipe when you're changing a diaper? Oh, yeah, I got that. That's like pro status. Pro status. <laughs> um, do you got big plans for the rest of the summer?
1: Um, a job maybe? Yeah, I know, right? Um, lots of applications in, lots of interviews happening. Yeah, I'm
0: in the same p- boat, but we can get into that a little later. Um I <laughs> want I don't want to get people too depressed about you know about the Move hope of life job and life and depressing stuff. Um but I do have a fun fact. Lately I've been pulling from uh Reddit, the uh Today I Learned subreddit. Have mm. you ever seen that one? I have. It's literally people just pulling off little snippets of from Wikipedia. <laughs> um but I thought this one would be pretty uh poignant to our discussion today. It says, The proceeds from the Pink Floyd album, The Dark Side of the Moon, went towards funding the film Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Also, the members of the band were a fan of the comedy trope and often took breaks in the middle of their recording sessions to watch Monty Python's Flying Circus.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've (laughs) actually watched episodes of the Flying Circus on stage because... When you play music and you're not the most interesting person on stage, you have a lot of time to do things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually will admit, I don't know if anyone will hate me for this because always, I always talk about music and how much I love it. I've actually never listened to Pink Floyd. Am I missing out on anything? <laughs>
1: Kind of, yeah. Kind
0: of. Not really. <laughs> well, because their biggest, the concept album is the Wall, right? Or there's also the Dark Side of the Moon.
1: Dark Side of the Moon and the Wall are kind of like the like the toss ups. Yeah. Listen to them once or twice, and you're kind of like, okay, I understand. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like I, the kind of ground that they broke and whatnot.
1: I don't even know if it's ground that's breaking. Yeah. Like <laughs> usually people are listening to like them and at like um. Like a science center, yeah. Looking at stars and lasers. Oh,
0: such as more ambient music. I guess you have to be high, trip acid on, (laughs) or something like that. Something. That thing about, and I've watched a lot of like history of making of bands or making of albums and like documentaries. Like the one of my favorite ones that Spencer showed me years ago. I think it came out in 2011. Was the on VH1. It was Metal Evolution. This anthropologist guy who's a huge fan of metal literally just went down and broke down the as he considered the family tree of metal and how it all branches out and where metal started and the different types of subgenres. So, but I've never seen video footage of Pink Floyd being interviewed. Now that I think about it, they're kind of that band that just was there and was iconic and then like they just disappeared. And Yeah, they are fight. they even together
1: anymore? No, they fight a lot. There's like two camps now. Oh. Start a little Civil War in the Pink Floyd. Yeah, the guitar and bass player don't agree on things because no. they're like, more creative than the other one.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, too, is like Led Zeppelin's kind of like that, but they still do interviews every once in a while, but it, like, they did not want to be on that particular metal evolution yeah. documentary because they don't consider themselves metal, and they hate it every single time someone says, you guys started
1: metal. So, no. I don't know. Sometimes you don't get to pick your, yeah. what you're known <laughs> what, for.
0: What your fans, uh, how your fans act and how they like you or don't like you correct. So going into your background, so you are a huge music guy from what I understand. Huge music guy. You came to a concert with us. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a huge music guy. That means
1: that I got a ride with you guys. Yeah, there you (laughs) go.
0: That's the nice thing about living in Salt Lake, I've noticed, or this area is growing up in Southern California where you were at too, there was always a lot of concerts and a lot of venues because there's a lot in LA, there's a lot in San Diego. the The only problem was, is I lived about an hour away or so in either direction, and then when you get there, there's no parking, and you got to pay freaking $20 for the valet.
1: Yeah. I didn't have too bad of an issue because it was like-
0: San Diego seems a little bit- It was
1: in San Diego? Yeah.
0: L.A. is, I think, what I'm talking about when it comes to my experience. I had
1: to drive a lot of of shows to L.A. and, like, Pomona and stuff like that, where it's like, I don't really want to go here. Yeah, I (laughs) know. Pomona's not my favorite city. (laughs) Yeah. I've been to Pomona for a few shows,
0: but particularly the Glass House. Oh, yeah. And then I went once to the Fox Theater down the street. Yeah. Which yeah. that was good too. But um, in Salt Lake, you just drive like a half hour
1: and there's no... The shows are only going to be like one or two places here. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I One of the venues I missed the most when I started going to shows up here was um, the Murray Theater.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it was like a cool movie theater and it had the levels where you could stand up at the top and rest your arms on a bar and you'd be level with the stage, but it was still like 50 or 100 feet away. Yeah. But then I heard... I didn't realize until someone at work pointed it out that I started going to shows at the same um, venue, the complex. And then some guys like, "Oh yeah, the reason why they've been at the complex all the time now is because some guy bought out the Murray Theater and said no more concerts here." Lame. I know, right? Um, so I kind of just wanted to get your background because you said you play. What instruments do you play? Let's see. I play. Are you one? Are you one man band? Almost.
1: I play, like, the bagpipes and the hurdy-gurdy. And do you you play the bagpipes? Yeah. Do you currently yeah. own? I don't currently own them. Uh, what my, would you
0: call – is that – Pat, would you say, like, plural, like, I own a thing of bagpipes? Or would you say – A set of bagpipes? set of bagpipes, yeah. <laughs> I like guess there is multiple
1: pipes. A bag and multiple pipes. Pipes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> uncle went on his mission to the UK and oh, okay. brought back a set, and I was like, you know it would be hilarious? Just to do this all day long. Uh. <laughs> Do you have a kilt to go with it? I do. My family has a, has a tartan. Oh, really? It's kinda, yeah. So What's well, a tartan? The the plaid for your family, your clan. Oh, like your family clan. Yeah. Spencer
0: has one of those. His Their last name is McGilvery, and he went to his uh, mission, or I like to call it religious excursion, to uh, Scotland. Ooh. And he actually went and found his family clan, and he got the pattern That's pretty and cool. brought it back.
1: Yeah, so, and then guitar, bass, trumpet... Saxophone, drums, synthesizer, keys, etc. I like to play random stuff. <laughs> I really like to play instruments. and I so, got, got started on on the piano. Okay, that's a pretty standard instrument
0: that kids get accustomed to at first.
1: Quickly ran away from that because why so? How do you how do you like travel with a piano all yeah, the time? Yeah, that's no true. One wants to be that guy, maybe the keyboard. It just wasn't cool, wasn't or the like, or the It wasn't fun. Oh no, no, no keytar. <laughs> I have one of those, but it's uh, that's that's particular to certain bands. That's a and different that's a different. Day. Usually the eighties bands. Oh, for
0: sure. Or if you're, a, oh, what's his name, Jordan Rudis from Dream Theater. Yeah, but that guy's an amazing pianist, so he can kind of rock the keytar. Yeah,
1: there's some people who can just really do the keys and make them look awesome, and no matter what I they do. i just never that person. Yeah. Um, there was always like a couple of guitars in like the house that I grew up in, and I just really gravitated towards strings. I really like the strings. Um so started playing guitar at a really young age and then trumpet probably around well, fourth grade, third grade or something yeah. like that. And the trumpet was kinda like the thing that I it just, gravitated I just took off and played that forever. Um sort of junior high, into high school, was playing a lot of like jazz, both strings and with the trumpet and like applied and got into the Juilliard Conservatory nice. for music. and it so when you were in high school? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I just was like, wow, things are kind of like, I could go pro, but I don't really want to. <laughs> yeah.
0: So did you do then any of the jazz stuff at high school?
1: I did a lot of, like, jazz stuff and jazz performance when I got to, like, college. Oh, okay. But I was really just playing music with whoever I could. And yeah. I, uh, I always felt like jazz was, like, the big thing to, like, get into because if you can understand jazz and you can play it, you can kind of play anything. Yeah, because jazz is a lot of it. It's like jazz and classical are like the two styles of music. Yeah. It's like if you can understand it. Then you can pretty much go then anywhere. you kind of like almost a virtuoso or you can just do it.
0: Yeah. I remember one time it was this pretty ignorant comment, but I was at a Thrice concert, which I'm not the biggest Thrice fan anymore. <laughs> anyway anymore <laughs> but uh there was the band that i am a bigger fan of cuz my younger brother showed them to me but uh Animals as Leaders oh yeah so two guitarists eight strings the drummer and they opened up for Thrice's last tour i think this was 2012 or 13 when they like were going to go on hiatus for a few years before they came back and Animals as Leaders of course tore it up the drummer is from or he went to Berkeley School of Music you yeah. know if you go to Berkeley you're pretty much amazing cuz they i think Berkeley is established in jazz training right in classical yeah. yeah and then there's people who go off and do branching and to play what they want but the guy who is standing next to me who's also like in this other group of friends that i like was mutual friends with he's like yeah that's a he's, a, he's an amazing drummer but like he can only play that style of music because he's that good like that's the only kind of i'm like you kidding me like i didn't know the guy So i didn't want to correct him i'm like this guy went to freaking berkeley school of music like you were saying your comment like if you're classically trained or if you're trained in jazz you can play anything. It's just that this guy decides to, you know, shred it on the drums with freaking crazy double bass and. For sure, yeah, I got a couple of friends sensors.
1: too. Um, let's see, guilty pleasure I like ska music. Um, I played ska music a oh, lot. Yeah? Like, and what's the
0: one or two popular bands
1: everyone knows? Say <laughs> Ferris is one of them. Back Safe in the Ferris, day. Ferris, no doubt. Uh, Mighty Mighty Boston. Yeah.
0: Who's the uh, one who played at the end of the movie Ten Things I Hate About You? Say Ferris the singer jumped on the stage and then some blonde chick. I can't remember. Anyway.
1: So, yeah. But a lot of the ska bands, the reason why they exist and the reason why they're all nerdy and dorky is because they're mostly all the band geeks from high school. Yeah. Cause it's like what else do who I do? I learned how to play the, the trumpet, skull? or I learn how to play the trombone, and there's a lot of us. And yeah, like, let's play some music. And I grew up in Southern California, and like that whole third wave ska '90s uh, yeah. was like huge. So it's like everybody's like, well, I can kind of play like kind of punk music with ska, and we can wear checker print and suspenders, yeah. and <laughs> there could be like 12 of us on stage, <laughs> and it could be really cool. Yeah. So like doing that kind of stuff, but like all of us who play like ska music for the most part. All can play the instruments that we play, so yeah. it's kind of like it's not just a fad or yeah, anything. So we all stuck all together can, as a group. They all have gone off and like play jazz, and they're doing other stuff, and yeah. it's just kind of kind of the thing. People are always like kind of pigeonhole. Go, oh no, it's not the Scott kid, but it's like, well, the Scott kid can actually read music.
0: <laughs> yeah. So then you got into piano. You said first at a young age, but then quickly went over to pretty much everything.
1: Quickly went to other things. Yeah. My mom plays the piano. Okay. Um, she sings. She's in a band. Uh, my dad plays trumpet. So just just music so it's in your family. Thing. Yeah, my dad plays trumpet. Um, his brother played saxophone. They went to a high school in Florida called Dillard High, uh-huh. and their band teacher was a jazz saxophone player by the name of Cannonball Adderley, huh. who's massively Amazing. huge in the in the jazz world. Oh, it's really? Those like not like necessarily Dominguez, Duke Ellington status, but like you say, oh Cannonball Adderley, and people are, like. Oh. oh, I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're so in the world was, of was there, jazz, they know his name. Yeah, so he was like their band teacher. So it's like oh, I grew cool. up with just so much music everywhere. And I was like, this is something that I actually really want to be a part of. Yeah. And I was like, this is cool. I'm into it.
0: Well, the thing for, yeah, like for me, I people who've listened to this podcast for a while now, with when I had the episode with like my brothers on, my brother David is amazing at guitar. Yes, he is. He started at the drums first. And then Spencer is the one who got us into music. Of course, our parents tried to get us to play the piano, but not all of us stuck with it. I just, for me, I think my personality, I didn't, I don't have, the, I, I, I think I'm better at it now as I'm older. Uh, this example of this podcast, I've been doing it for almost a year now. But before that, it was, I didn't have the stick to like, or the patience. Because if I wanted to play the guitar now, I want to be just as good as my younger brother. But I have, you know, your brain doesn't take into consideration that, he's been playing for 10 years and of course you're gonna have to take the time to do that but it's just uh wanting to be that good immediately is what has always like stumped me from sticking with an instrument yeah but i don't know so i've never i think i've come to the conclusion that that i'm okay with not playing an instrument anymore and i'm just (laughs) i love being a fan of music if that makes any sense but you gotta have fans but i just i just like spender's drum sets right here but i don't ever come down and like play it because i don't know i don't actually, know where to start
1: big kudos to my parents because they were yeah. like we play music we like music we're gonna listen to music yeah. But you don't have to play huh it was never something that was like you have to take lessons yeah. this is something you need to do it was kind of like oh here's all these really cool looking things around you
0: would you just have tons of
1: instruments in your house yeah all the if, time? if you want to if you want to actually use any of them you gotta kind of learn how to do it yeah Cause they weren't like cheap stuff. So it was kind of like my parents wanted me to have like yeah, don't responsibility. Pl- don't play like,
0: around with this isn't a toy kind of thing. Have fun.
1: Yeah. So it's like, I think for parenting, since I have kids, I've kind of like, I just play and my son, yeah, my son's gone to like a couple of my shows and so he's like seen what I do yeah. and it's kind of like, ah, uh, he like, he plays the drums now and they both play the ukulele and the drums. And it wasn't me saying you guys need to play. It was like, yeah, it was just, I just have these around, and you guys can go for it. So yeah, have fun.
0: Lead by example. Well, yeah, because the, the, my first girlfriend, she uh, she came from a family where she played the bass upright and regular. Like I would go to her. This is when I was in high school. Like <laughs> I had my big old curly afro, and I was like sixteen, seventeen. I'd go to her performances at the local high school, and so she, her family was very musical. And it led me into, like, a whole new world of appreciation for other types of music, like jazz and progressive music and whatnot. And then she eventually got a scholarship to Berklee School of Music. And then, long story short, we broke up long distance, and that was that. But, um, yeah, her, it, your family upbringing kind of sounds similar to hers, where, like, the, the youngest brother sang and played the guitar. The oldest brother played drums, and then she played the bass. It's almost like they had their own little yeah. band. But it was because there were so many instruments in the house at all times And then they had access to that knowledge and to practice it and use it and then eventually go into school programs that, you know, help them teach the actual technique and, uh, I guess the art form, if you want to call it that. Yeah. yeah, So then you, after high school, were you in, like you said, one of those ska groups or
1: I was, I graduated high school at 15 and a half, 16. So I graduated early. I was in two and a half years, um, and then the moment after that, I was like, hey, yeah, let's, uh, let's let's do this. So I joined a ska band that started in St. George and moved to Orange County called Go Go 13 which are like the lead singer is the brother to uh-huh. the lead singer of the Aquabats. Okay. It's kind of the band that got the Aquabats. So this is
0: kind of the stuff that I wanted to talk about tonight. Yeah, with yeah. Your, your connection the- with Aquabats and obviously the people who are listening to this podcast or anyone who's... LDS, I guess you would say, because yeah. some of the Aquabat members are yeah, yeah. LDS or yeah. Mormon for people who don't know that term um so wait, you said it was in St George there was a they
1: they started in St George in 94 okay. 93, something like that and then they so they'd been going for a while, uh-huh. had a bunch of different members and went on like a hiatus and this was a- the go-go goGo 13 13 okay um they went on a hiatus I don't even know if they went on a hiatus, but they were playing for a while. um long story short, they stopped. They couldn't make a gig one day. Uh-huh. The Aquabats were kind of playing together. and this Not is really Oca- a big band yet. But they were starting out? Yeah, and so they played in GoGo13's spot and kind of became who they are from GoGo13 existing. Yeah. Parker, the lead singer of GoGo13, is really big into Scott and his brother Christian doesn't really... He- he likes music. Yeah. I don't know necessarily that I have ever heard him say he likes ska music. Oh, uh, okay. But he likes music, but it was always, like, the younger brothers who were, like, got him into yeah. playing that kind of music, and one thing led to another, and the Aquabats kind of did their thing, and...
0: So they kind of just, like, left Go Go 13, and yeah. then started their own, like, side project, which ended up becoming a full-fledged thing? Pretty much. Which a lot of times happens with Something like bands. that,
1: and then as the members of the Aquabats kind of decide they don't really want to... Do the touring stuff all the time. They've kind of all trickled back. Yeah. Or trickled into GoGo13. Oh, okay. So is it kind of a re Kind of it, a revolving, revival, doors, yeah. or a or revolving door? Revival, yeah. Whoever like can play the show at that time, it's kinda of like you're, oh. the, you're the guy. And so like GoGo13's had members who are friends with or have played with like the neon trees and okay. the killers and all that other stuff. So it kind of all... It's one of those like gran- they have their fingers everywhere. The Groundling and- bands that sort of expands out to yeah. a lot of other places, and it's kind of cool.
0: So then, did after Aquabats kind of started going full fledged, Gogo Thirteen stop it like completely, or was there people still dabbling in that? There's
1: still people. there's still people playing. Uh-huh. Parker's still writing music, and him and his brother. He has there's three brothers. Um, Tyler and Parker were in Gogo Thirteen, and. They kept going, kept doing stuff. They served missions, had families, worked jobs. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like we do it as we can. Yeah, it wasn't like the actual like career profession. Uh, okay, that kind of the aquabats turned into. It yeah, was, that was a lot bigger. So
0: then, is the Aquabats still a band? Then
1: they're still a band.
0: Is it still the original? Is it the original lineup, or is it also kind of a revolving door now?
1: The revolving door. I think they. Is there any original members? Yeah, Chad and Chad, who plays bass, and Christian, who sings. uh, Chad started out playing the trombone in the Aquabats, and then he went to bass, and then he went to bass, and so it kind of just like flips around. They had like Baron von Tito, was like they all have nicknames. Um, that was Travis Barker. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And then he like left and went to Blink, blink One Eight <laughs> Two. Sure, the people uh, know who that is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But they've had like a lot of just people all over the place. A lot of bands. They're really well connected. Really great group of. Now yeah, they do, don't they? Wear costumes while they're on stage. They do wear costumes. Cause or...
0: I remember my older brother Spencer. He's been to a few of their shows, and he remember told taught, told me stories about how he'd go and they'd all have crazy costumes and whatnot. But
1: yeah, yeah. I I've been I've been. Guilty of You've been privy to wear one? <laughs> wearing costumes and getting beat up on stage and <laughs> So then you what year did you graduate high school? I graduated in 2005. Okay, same year I did. So right after that I grad I uh, my friend Chris Stiles who is finishing up his music degree at the U. uh uh-huh. He played trumpet in Go Go 13 and kay. he's like, "Hey, uh, we don't have a bass player. Uh, you want to play?" So just one day I kind of drove up to um, Costa Mesa uh-huh. And I started playing And it was like Years and years And years later That I was like Whoa I've been in this band For a while Oh really So <laughs> you
0: started Basically in 2005 And then when did you leave Go Go 13
1: I made the choice To like sort of Step out To go on a mission Yeah And then I came back And it I, I was just in one of those spots Where it's like Is this really what I want to do Yeah Um, And I just Kind of Stepped out.
0: So then, what was the what was it like being in a band? Because I know I've been around bands, and luckily, like the more concerts I go to, and some of the people my brother talks to, I've I've learned to try not fanboy out to certain band (laughs) members if I talk to them. But like, what's it like being in a band? And you were in the so if I'm getting the timeline right, you were in the band for about two or so years before you left to go on a mission.
1: Yeah, two or three years. Two or three years, and then. I left and came back and I was probably in the band two thousand eleven, I okay.
0: think. So when I stopped. So um, you went in the band, left, and then came back and kept doing the band but then decided to leave it all together? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of.
1: Um school. School, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other things life. I, I started doing more way more art than I was doing music and it kind of took off that way. Yeah. Um
0: yeah, so what's like it being what's it like being in a band and touring? Did you tour all over the nation?
1: Uh no. We didn't. We got we're we're one of the we were one of those bands that's like really well known locally, but like never played uh-huh. and like didn't oh. have didn't have a full length album or anything throughout uh, the okay. existence of the band. But it was like everybody knew. It's like ooh, that was the band that like started the other band. Yeah, and it's like oh, oh the cool Google people knew the started. Awkward. Yeah, yeah. They, they cool people. The diehard fans knew the true origins. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, even I went to an Aquabat show in Salt Lake not too long ago, and people were talking to me getting sort of my autograph they knew who i was really? and i was like this is odd yeah i don't know who you are <laughs> i think we played utah like twice when i was in the band and i was like yeah. this is odd but it's like social media and all that other stuff was like big and so people
0: yeah so people, some people were us. able to do some yeah, investigation I mean, and stuff we and went
1: see- on we were on the warp tour and is that even a thing anymore I no, heard they th- just it's the last year. Yeah. It's their like farewell to arm. So they got back a lot of the old bands who kind of started it and No, that was a that was a great experience. Fanboying, um Meaning playing with w- other bands is that is, you looked is, up is, to is crazy. Yeah. When we were on warped tour it was like we were playing with um, like the Angry Samoans, which was like a band that I, I really liked. Um, oh, so I've never heard of that one. Sounds um, more like a All American gang. Rejects. I'm okay. not really a fan, but they were there and I was like, "Whoa, they're they're huge. Like, I've seen their MTV Cribs. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then like- uh, I know what your house looks like. <laughs> Andrew WK, which I was like, oh, this is awesome. He was just on- He's rad.
0: He was just on, a. I think it was this year at E3, the electronics conference. So I only know that conference for video games, but no. he came on stage and played at the end, I think of- Bethesda's conference, they're a video game developer. So I didn't know he was still around, but
1: Oh, he's like a motivational speaker and he's really? like running for president and like oh. other stuff like that. No, well, yeah. he's a
0: guy who had like he always he the front of his first cover his like nose
1: is broken, because right he broke it with a brick or something. Something like that, bleeding. Yeah. I, yeah. He gave me a, a Hello Kitty shirt that he, like merch. It was like Hello Kitty with like bloody nose, Hello Kitty. Oh really? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> This guy's cool. He's like super, super rad. And I was like, so getting to know people outside beyond the uh what we see is kind of it was kind of cool. Yeah,
0: like you only ever see like on MTV or like the videos or even if you don't even into the well MTV's not really a thing anymore I guess, but I don't yeah. Yeah, I'm, like I'm, just seeing uh it's weird seeing a uh, following a band on like their interviews online, seeing music videos, seeing them in concert or even nowadays Watching their concerts if you can't be there live, like on YouTube. Yeah. And then when you actually meet them in person, it's just weird because they're just regular people.
1: Yeah. But, for like, sure. you, I mean, there's this
0: weird disconnect where we don't know how to act around them because for so long you get to, you think you get to know them as people in a certain light like on youtube in music videos on their albums yeah so that when you actually meet them in person you're just like ah, i don't know what to, how to i don't know how to talk to you i don't know what to say other than thanks for making great music but i don't know yeah, it's like- i've gotten better at treating them like regular people but it, <laughs> at first i talk really fast and get all nervous and stuff like that but yeah they like
1: grilled paninis just like everybody yeah. else does
0: <laughs> they have their favorite foods and favorite colors and whatnot
1: yeah so i mean those kind of experiences were cool um getting to play a lot of like crazy venues, a lot of stuff like that. Like we played the Shoreline Amphitheater and the Bay Area. So like, like San
0: Francisco area? Or yeah, I guess Bay Area is pretty big. Term, San Jose, huh? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in that San Jose.
1: Um, and like. How big was the crowd there? It was huge. It was, a, it was a massive crowd, but it's like going backstage and like seeing the green rooms and all that other kind of stuff of the bands who had played there. And I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, because they had their posters. I've been on the same stage as like this band and that band and this yeah. band. I was like, that's nuts. This is huge. And I was like. I'm looking like a dork on stage. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. I guess that starts to wear on you after a little while. Yeah,
0: I, I would imagine like if people if
1: don't take you seriously. Yeah, and then I like was kind of known as a like my nickname is the Grick. Oh, is that and, why like, your Instagram handles that? Yeah, and so like people know me as that, and it was kind of cool because it kind of like kept my anonymity of who I actually am. You had like a little persona, like a yeah. superhero. And so it's like I'd be on, and I'd be around people, and it's kind of like I'm not too. Outgoing. I'm not super people person. Not like. But did that like having that persona like help you be <laughs> that, a people person? That was that was like my thing. Like I was like, oh yeah, let's do this. It's let's... almost like
0: any time said the grick, like a switch would turn on
1: and. Yeah, I had to had to be on. I mean. Is that kind of draining though? Oh, it is. So it is. I I just, would
0: you say you're you're an introvert?
1: Yeah, I'm indoorsy. Indoorsy. Like, <laughs> I like to I like to be myself. I, um. Yeah, so it was like it was really crazy. It was fun experiences, great stuff. I mean, we recorded for a children's television show called this, Yo Gabba Gabba. We played you recorded music. for that show? Yeah, yeah, we played music for that. Um, so when that episode is about to drop, myself and Chris, who were in the band, we're the same age, we put our papers in at the same time. I went to the MTC one week, and the following week he went to the MTC.
0: But anyone doesn't know, MTC is the Missionary Training Center. <laughs> yeah, so
1: we, we left on our missions like a week after each other, both in the band, both had recorded... Some music for this show, and we never got to see the show live on TV ever because we were on our mission the whole time that it was airing on TV. Oh, and the
0: show stopped <laughs> after about two years.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that episode, I've never, I've never seen that episode on TV. I've uh, seen it like in YouTube videos or like DVDs, but that s- sort the of feeling production. of seeing it live on TV. Never saw it. Huh. And it was kind of like one of the first like kind of separations of going. You know what? this this isn't this isn't me. Yeah. I really love music, but this whole this whole stuff is it's fun. I like doing it, but I'm not going to give everything up to do it. Yeah. I was getting really I felt like I was getting really close in a lot of aspects, getting asked by a lot of different friends who were in bands who were like losing members, "Hey, can you come play guitar? Can you do this show? Can you record this thing?" And I was like, "I could really make money and survive and live this way or I could actually do something that I feel good about inside yeah, and don't have to be around all the sketchy, weird influences that come along with the territory of playing music professionally. Yeah,
0: so what kind of sketchy, weird influences comes with that territory of playing live shows and being in bands and whatnot?
1: Um, I played a lot of places where I was getting carded before I was... Of age at all. So oh, I got just to because like, you were in the band? Yeah. So I got to like be brought in through the back, set up, play the show, and, and then I, I couldn't leave. hang out. I had to leave afterwards. And so that was like super weird. It's like, oh, these are bars and other stuff like that. And so I was like, I never got to experience any of that stuff. Yeah. I was really lucky that when I was in GoGo13, there was a lot of like members, and it was like- A lot really of LES members? good people. Yeah, oh, okay. a lot of LES members, little good people. So it's like, didn't have to worry too much when I was with them about that kind of stuff, or they're, them doing that kind of stuff. But like the people I was around were sort of doing that stuff. And then when I was in other bands, it was like- The complete opposite? Yeah. Uh, drugs and the whole gamut of the rock star quote-unquote yeah. life. And I was like, whoa, this is real. I don't. Don't like this. Yeah. So (laughs) So I would go on. I Basically, even when I turned 21, I would go out, play shows, and then leave right afterwards. I wasn't trying to hang out. I wasn't trying to make friends. I wasn't trying to meet anybody. I was like, I don't want to be around this. So is there a way to play music and not be around this? And I was like, there is, but it's not going to be playing the same kind of music. So it's kind of like.
0: Uh, Okay. So is that kind of like the catalyst of like the fork in the road? Like. I can either stay playing music in this kind of environment, or I can find another route where I can still love music, but it won't be the life of a rock star. Air yeah, kind for, of thing.
1: For sure, for sure.
0: So then, was it? Do you do you ever miss any part of that lifestyle of playing live shows? I mean, do you still I miss play?
1: I miss being on stage. Yeah, Ugh, yeah, yeah. It's there's a there's a rush. It was like a natural drug. There's nothing like being on stage and playing stuff that. You wrote
0: because what that you said the amphitheater play that you in in the Bay Area how many people were in the audience?
1: I I don't know A couple I was, thousand I wasn't counting. Yeah, there's a bunch of people. Okay,
0: so playing in that environment, you said it's just a kind of a natural rush. That's the biggest thing you've missed from playing live shows.
1: Yeah, I miss that. I miss um, going beyond like the open mic kind of feel where people are actually there and know your songs, know your music, uh, and singing you, along with you. So just
0: being the opening band, yeah, waiting for you to yeah. get off stage kind of thing. Yeah,
1: so. Yeah, so after I like left GoGo Go Thirteen, started other bands, um, got kicked out of bands because I wasn't living that lifestyle, which was kind of really kind of a weird thing. Like, yeah, be like you're good, but uh, you You don't good. drink and you don't have tattoos, <laughs> so uh, we're going for a different image. And I was like, well, that's lame. Right, yeah, fine, whatever. I'm gone. And then I like sort of called up some, probably right before my my oldest son was born. I called up some friends that I'd, like, grown up with, like, in high school, and they were in a bunch of different bands, and I was like, hey, uh, let's, let's, let's do something. Yeah. And is that
0: why you, since you've been up here in Utah? No, no, no,
1: no, no. Before I moved to Utah, before I did grad school. Um, so I did that, and, uh... We wrote an album and it was rad and we we're like, This is great. I was finally I was finally more of an in control person, not just a uh, part of the band? Yeah, just part of the band. So it was like really just three guys and we we're like all collectively working and doing it together and we used to practice. I'd like um like a granny flat apartment kind of thing out in the middle of nowhere in East San Diego County and we could play all hours of the night and so basically my living room was a giant studio that nice. we just played and jammed at and then my wife told me that she was pregnant and we we're gonna have a kid, and I was like, "Well, this is crazy." And so we'd always jam, and the trimesters would tick on, and yeah, and one day when my oldest son Finn came, and I was like, "This is crazy. We can't uh, we can't play here all the time anymore." Yeah, there's he's a asleep. baby who's trying to he's trying to sleep, and so that was like kind of like it's like, "Well, I can." We moved to a studio, and we kept playing shows, and. Things just I, – I felt like I needed to do something, be more of a family man and less of a, uh, an aspiring rock star. Yeah. So I put my application papers in for school and I left and went to grad school in the other end of California and just stopped. <laughs> so under, No, you said grad school. So you have your master's then? Yeah, I have my master's in so, fine arts and sculpture. Nice. And then yeah. you're – which undergrad in? Uh, applied design and furniture manufacturing. All
0: right. Yeah. So completely different from Yeah, yeah. Music. Art, art, and art music
1: have always gone hand in hand. They kind of fuel yeah. each other for me. Um, and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to – I want to do this. I feel like I can be uh, a better, better member of the church. I can be a better father, a better husband, not necessarily being in this music world. Yeah. I can still play music, I can still be involved in it, and occasionally I still get calls and do stuff. But I was like, I can kind of really control my destiny and the perception that people have of me and what I do with my creativity. As an artist.
0: Instead of being just part of a band where you got to go with the flow and go with that lifestyle, which didn't really lead you down certain For paths sure. that you wanted to go yeah. down. I
1: was never, I was never a, a Steve Vai. I couldn't just stand on the yeah, stage yeah. by myself and play and everybody goes, wow. So yeah. I was like, well, if I'm not going to do that, I'm not Hendrix. I'm, I can't command things by myself. I'm, yeah. I'm going to always have to agree and work with other people and we all see kind of differently. Yeah, and I was like, oh, as an artist, I'm kind of controlling it all. Myself,
0: Yeah, and I I wish Spencer was going to be on the podcast tonight. We had some stuff to do. The one thing, I'll tell a story for him because he's told me before. So Spencer, after his – before his religious excursion mission and after to Australia, he went to our community college, RCC, Riverside Community College, and he was really getting into like audio recording. And this is like 1998 or 99, so it's like – Totally different world than it is now. It was yeah. back in the day, and he started working at Coco's, which is a restaurant. It's like a sit-down restaurant back in Southern California, um, and he he got familiar with these these girls who worked there. And one of her, the, one of the servers, her name was Michelle, and she was actually the manager for a band called Alien Ant Farm. <laughs> so, and they were up and coming. They they hadn't even had their first album, the Anthology album, and so he started hanging out with them, and he started and Spender's always been a big fan of music and he got me and my younger brother into music, but he started going to their shows, like the local shows they play at Riverside. And he started going to their recording sessions. And it's funny, like having EPs and like demos from the band that we had circulating around our house before their first album and their first album had some of those yeah. demos, but it was kind of like cool. But like, Oh, I, I knew them before they were famous kind of thing. Like that dumb thing people try to claim, <laughs> but it, it was cool when you were like 13 and 14. Um, even to the point where, when they were recording their first album, Anthology, there was a song towards the end of the album, I think it was called Happy Death Day, or at least that was the course. They actually needed a bunch of kids <laughs> to come to the studio, and I was 14 at the time, so... Spencer grabbed me my younger brother David and then like some other friends volunteered and they all came and they had us in a studio I think it was in Orange County or LA and they all had to sing happy death day to you now I know you're flying in the blue. I think that's what it was and It was like a like at least 50 60 kids singing the recording and the singer was trying to get us to sing it and uh, I remember them even like taking our name down they were writing all of our names down because I'm assuming they were gonna put on the album and It was just cool being in that environment Never happened. I guess we sucked as kids. So <laughs> they didn't put it on the album. But, and I think it was still funny, like trying to tell that story because I don't think anyone believed me that I was going to be on an album because that's like the perfect lie to make up to your friends <laughs> when you're like 14, 15. Yeah. Anyway, so Spencer's in this environment and he really wants to get into audio recording. And then he realized like he's up till two in the morning hanging out with these guys. <laughs> he's up till three in the morning not getting back. And he was already married for a few years. And he just realized, like, this isn't like the best lifestyle, or like it's not the most conducive <laughs> as far as schedule and yeah, to yeah. having a family. So he he ended up going and getting a degree in economics, which I don't think he uses that. But <laughs> the whole point was that he had to sacrifice what he wanted and thought, or thought he wanted, in a cool lifestyle of, you know, audio recording. And he got very familiar with Alan Afro, which ended up getting pretty big for a little bit. And except they made the mistake of releasing their. Well, actually, I think I was the producers. It wasn't them, or if I remember the story correctly. They used to play Smooth Criminal on stage before they were even big, and that, this too was a joke. And then the freaking producers thought that was genius. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. Put on your first album, and that's your first single. Now we all know that some bands who do release covers as their first single, sometimes they can transcend that against that, but I don't think from ever had a good time trying to get past yeah. that. So yeah. They had really good music, I think, on their second album, too. But
1: anyway. Yeah, for sure. I mean, staying up... All hours of the night and then having a kid who wants to wake up at 7 o'clock yeah. in the morning just without fail.
0: And then of. if you're like – especially you're still living in Southern California, like a lot of the studios and a lot of the – that scene is far away and, you know, LA yeah. and whatnot. So Spencer decided, you know, I got to leave that and and kind of grow up kind of thing. But the, it did kind of come full circle because when he, up, he was up here in Utah, he he got a job at a musician's friend online and used yeah. to get tons of free stuff. And he met Ooh. this other guy. And they're like, hey, let's start a recording studio in our basement. So it's almost like he was able to try it out again, but in a better environment in a, a setting that was he had more control over. Yeah, Where for he sure. actually had a few kids. He knew how to get his life in order as far as like how to manage his family and whatnot. So he tried it again. It didn't it went somewhere for like a year or two or but that's why I have all this foam in here and you've played you've played here with Spencer and yeah, jammed yeah. out and stuff. But so he was able to try it out again, but in a different, I guess a different time. Where it came full circled, where he was able to try that, he was able to try that passion of audio recording, but because he had the the resources to get all this free discounted stuff from yeah. where he worked. But
1: yeah, know it was it was great. Those experiences were super fun. I met a lot of really good like lifelong friends who I still we kind of all just have gone in different directions. Not all necessarily playing music, yeah. Like. I, one of my good buddies who plays drums, um, ended up going to school and becoming a, a director and he directs music videos now for like, um, Ice Cube and Beach Boys and other stuff That's like that. very eclectic. <laughs> no, I, it's, a, it's really crazy, but he not yeah. like a really like unique style and it's really rad, but he was doing a web series called Dead Grandma. So... I still think it might be online. It's pretty fun. It's really? a funny little, like, show series kind of thing like that. Um, John Heater, Napoleon Dynamite Napoleon was involved Dynamite, in yeah. it, and his younger brother. Um, yeah, and he was like, hey, Garrick, uh, do you want to write and do all the music for the show? I was like, yeah, this is cool. So I, like, scored the whole Dead Grandma series, and I was like, that's rad. I like this. Did you just do it all from your home then? Yeah, I just did it all at home. I recorded it all at home, and sort of send them the tracks kinda like through the mail kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, I was like, sweet, I can still do music and just kinda do other things like that. And so it's kind of brought me back to like recording for T V and stuff like that. And I was like, I like this. So yeah. I have done a lot more like studio work. Do you sense. have studio
0: equipment in your house right now?
1: I don't. Most of my stuff's in a storage yeah, unit. Yeah, well me California. and you both live in
0: basements, so <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I mean but like doing studio musician session work for people. So like an artist needs a guitar player to play a couple of songs for their new EP or something like that. Yeah. That they don't necessarily have their own band. And so I'll go and I'll- to, and
0: then they pay you for it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's
1: like, that's fun. I enjoy that. Do like they, it's, is it's not just still... local in Utah, I'm assuming it's- I've done it sort of like all over the place.
0: And then you just email them the- Or I'll go is into their studio,
1: like... sit in and play and I'll go home kind of thing like that. Oh. And so that's cool. Um, I mean, even recently, like last summer I did a TV show- where I was playing with some of the guys from the Aquabats, and we nice. were uh, we were a, a wedding band. Oh, really? <laughs> in the TV show? <laughs> yeah, in the TV show, we're a wedding band. Can you say what show it is? Um, those who can't what? on True TV.
0: Okay. Yeah. Is it a reality show or no? No, it was like so. It was like an actual like a uh, story and everything like a. Yeah, not, yeah, it's yeah. Not it's a about, sitcom, like, is it?
1: Those who can is about like a bunch of. People who like the whole kind of those who can teach, those who can't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Um yeah, so they're like a bunch of teachers out of high school and yeah, we were like a wedding band. Nice. That was cool. So got to like relive the uh, TV movie yeah. kind of days and stuff yeah. like that. We were at um uh wow, what is the name of that high school? High school in LA, they filmed Greece and Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, and stuff like that. So it's getting like super Venice high? Van Nice. Van Nuys. Van Nuys High School. So okay, was,
0: wait, they filmed Greece there? Yeah. Okay, supposedly that was the high school my mom went to. Well, that's cool. Because she told us growing up, like, that's the... I swore she said Venice. Maybe it was Van Nuys, but she said that's the school they used for Greece, but of course called it Rydell High in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't the actual... Yeah,
1: so I mean, like, being there, that was kind of cool. I was like, whoa, this happened here. Yeah. This happened here, and this is this is really cool. I, like, get to, like, put my stamp on that. So that was fun, and if that ever airs, then... Oh, so it hasn't even aired yet? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know that one didn't air. It was like season three, so whenever that happens. So you've happens. had
0: a f- few experiences where you create basically art for people in the form of, in your thing, music, but yeah. sometimes never sees the light of day or might never see the light of day? Yeah. What's that kind of like?
1: It's weird. Oh, so it's kinda of suck? I, I think in the beginning it was kinda of like what you were saying when you were fourteen, you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I did this yeah, stuff. Yeah, look at what I'm how, connected to. Look at how cool I am. And I I think I started out that way. It was always like who I knew and who I got to meet and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to share that with everybody. And yeah. I got to the point where I was like, do I really care about the people I'm attracting when I say all this stuff? Yeah does it really sound even legit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> does it sound some like, of the man, times was... it was like ridiculous, and I was like...
0: <laughs> well, then it could be if you have so many projects that don't show a lot of, see a lot of day, it could be like the whole Boy Who Cried Wolf thing where your friends are like, hey, Garrick, you've told us a lot of things that you're going to be doing. I haven't seen any of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, that was definitely something I didn't want to be a part of. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I have pictures and stuff like that. So it was like, oh, those are cool. So memories for you. Yeah. and that'd yeah. be for everybody like, Look at me playing music with these guys. It yeah. was cool on this stage. It was... Yeah, that I think
0: someone has some pictures somewhere printed out of us in the England Air Farm Studio, but I don't. I remember I had long hair down to my shoulders, like my curly <laughs> hair, before yeah. I trimmed it to me I'm a little more of a afro. But uh, so then you also mentioned. So wait, do you still stay in touch with any of the Aquabat members? I still do.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of my good friends is uh, Ian he's not their original guitarist but he is been he in the, the, band. Current right he's the current one right now he's the current one who has been in the band for a long time uh-huh. he used to play in uh death by stereo um census fail i remember census fail kind and, of um Gerard Way in the hormones when the lead singer of my chemical romance oh, yeah. left and did a solo project he was his guitarist and oh, toured with him and stuff there you like go. That. so yeah he's an amazing guitar player and great and um I make a lot of art and make a lot of guitars. Do a lot of. Fun I want to talk about that right now. So <laughs> I built a guitar for him that recently went on their UK tour. Um, beginning of the year with So if pursuit. you can't go on tour anymore, at least
0: your art does. I'm sending <laughs> stuff. Your with guitars, people. Do. yeah, yeah. So then, when did you get into
1: making guitars? Um, I think I was in high school. We had a guitar making class. In high school, nice. Um, we my high school is down. So the did street. Did you have a particular like special school did you go to, or did your high school have a dope music program? I went to a special high school. <laughs> I went, I've been to like special <laughs> schools basically my whole life. I went to like fine arts magnet schools from like kindergarten through when I graduated. Okay. so it's like art and music are like the thing you have to like audition to get in. And, yeah, yeah. But the high school I went to um, is down the street from Taylor Guitars, and so Bob Taylor basically set up a class to oh. build guitars at my high school. Nice. So that people could, like, learn how. I think so they didn't have to go
0: all the way to his place? They were just, like, kind of a hub. Yeah, I think
1: it was mostly just to, like, have a, a crop of um, new employees that would graduate high school and then go work for him. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> know. interns or whatever? I don't know how it was. But, yeah, yeah. So he was, like, super nice guy. Deering banjos was around the corner from my high school. Carvin' Guitars, or Kessel, I think that's what they're called now, uh-huh. was around the corner from where I'm at. Dang. I mean... Being in Southern California, you're kind of yeah. around a whole lot of stuff quickly. Um, so yeah, I learned, started making guitars then and just kind of kept playing. I've been a woodworker, which is kind of my, my specialty when yeah. it comes to sculpture. I do a lot of large wood and metal sculptures. So it's kind of like with scrap woods from sculptures and stuff like that, I was making guitars and, and selling them and playing them and doing oh, all that kind of stuff. So how
0: and, often do you make guitars now? Um, is it kind of a job thing for I you made, or just kind of a still of a hobby and then you sell them for that?
1: kind of a hobby. I don't really want to – there's so many boutique sort of guitar builders that exist out there. I'm yeah. friends with a lot of them. Um, it's kind of hard to get into that. Uh, I don't want to. Really? <laughs> it's a lot of work, a lot of, like, headaches, and there's a lot of, like – people who buy that kind of stuff are very um, particular and nitpicky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I worked with my buddy, I got the shirt on, Otis Amplification. We started in like Chico, and then he's building the amps, tube amplifiers in Kauai now. Uh And it was like, we would send out an amp and somebody would be like this is good, but but it doesn't compare to this amp and I want my money back or like other stuff. It was just always a hassle, always trying to compare yourselves to, or other people were always trying to compare it to other people, trying to understand why the amp or why the guitar is X number of dollars when they can go to Guitar Center and get offended for this much, and I was like, well, those are made in factories with lots of people with lots of money, and their overheads not there. And yeah, I'm building as, one at a time. It's a little more special care going up into all it. night long. Yeah, crying because the finish didn't work right. Yeah, there's.
0: Well, <laughs> I kind of get that from my buddy Mike Lee. Was on the podcast a f- few weeks ago. He's an artist. He graduated from BYU Idaho, Sweet. and he he teaches online courses right now. But he was trying to figure out where he wanted to live, and he was up in Idaho again in Salt Lake for a couple of years. But now he's in Orem. And he's really happy with uh, – he found this group who goes to like a professor's home or a painter, and he has a studio in his backyard. That's cool. And just any artist comes like weekly. You pay like 5 or 10 bucks, and there's usually live models there, and they just paint, and so he's able to network. But he he does go – personally, he, told, he didn't want to say publicly who they were, but he's told me some stories of people that were a lot harder to work for as far as when they were paying him to paint them something because – of course they're paying for it so they can be particular but at the same time if they don't communicate their vision very well or they're not very uh polite on how they give the critique back and whatnot it's just kind of more stress than you want in your life especially as someone who's an artist or a painter and whatnot so he said it's a lot different than just going to a studio and painting because you want to paint and yeah obviously there's different i guess you would say uh Different aspects of art as far as getting paid for something or just doing it because you love doing it, but for sure, yeah so, then, so
1: making guitars was has always been sort of a love of mine, yeah, and I do it and would only sell or would only do stuff for friends if it yeah. was like like there was nothing, no strings attached, yeah, it was just no like, pun intended. I, really, I yeah <laughs> I really wanted to do it for them yeah. it wasn't like anything crazy, I mean the guitar that I built for Ian. It was like in the winter, which is winter in Utah is the ho- worst time to paint a guitar because yeah. nothing cures, nothing does anything. So uh-huh. I had a, like a guitar in my house around like heat lamps and ovens and oh, really? <laughs> other stuff like that, or like at the factory that I was working at, like just trying to keep it warm. Yeah. So that's sets right. Yeah, and that was like crazy, and then he's like, oh, yeah, um, we're going on tour, and I'm leaving a week earlier than I I guess the tour starts. And so I was like, oh, Mad Dash to do that, and I didn't mind. It was great. Yeah. The guitar turned out great, he loves it. Um,
0: So it's just that passion of being able to make something out of nothing, make it for a friend, put that love and hard work into it, but... Not wanting to turn it into a business because then you might get that uh, yeah, I've never bad taste like, of, ah, I love doing this, but I might end up hating it if I have to make this all the time for people who are not my friends kind of thing. Yeah,
1: for sure. So I'll do that kind of stuff for friends. I do a lot of like guitar tech and amp tech stuff for people, fixing pedals, et cetera.
0: So what kind of guitars, how many guitars do you own? How
1: many guitars do you own? Uh, Currently, and, I think I own like six guitars, four basses and... Some other stuff. They're all in like hard cases, stacked, filed, kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I play all the time. Do you? I think oh, those are all at your house right now. Yeah. Oh, before, yeah. before my mission, I think probably seventh, sixth grade, fifth grade. Uh-huh. I started playing three hours a day, every single day. That's how David was. He started playing like <laughs> all day. Just, and I was just like, like oh, this is this is all I want to do. Yeah. And so I still like have I have guitars out and around different places in the house, so I can just sort of grab one and play. And I don't get to play as much as I probably should or want to keep up practice. But yeah, I play. And my I kids was always a
0: instrument I gravitated towards was bass first, and then drums. Bass mostly because if you play the very basics of a bass, <laughs> you kind of just play where the guitar plays. But also, I liked it because they had thicker strings; they didn't feel like freaking needles on my fingers. Because yeah, when yeah. I first tried learning how to play the acoustic guitar, that was the most painful part. Is oh, yeah, you got to build string. those you got to build those calluses up until those razor blades stop cutting you and whatnot. Or so at least that's what it feels like. Yeah, so, for
1: sure. Um, yeah, I mean.
0: I never understood why bass strings are way more expensive than guitars. I always made the joke, like, are running low longer. on metal? They last, I know they're thicker, too. They but, last,
1: like, way longer. Like, I have guitar friends who are like, I change my strings, like, every week. Yeah, I know. Especially like, depending on what kind of music of you days, play. Every couple of days, they're playing gigs. They're like, oh, new strings every single gig. Yeah. And like, uh, James Jamerson played Motown. He was, like, sort of their session bass player. I don't think he ever changed his strings unless they broke. <laughs> yeah. So they were really, really like flat and dull. And so you're like, like, it's a, a lot of sound. cost
0: up front, but they last a lot longer. So it's more of a. Yeah. I mean, than... some people
1: love that like thumpy, dull Beatlesy bass sound. Yeah. It doesn't sound really like crisp and clean. And I was like, that's, that's a good sound. So it's like, yeah, I don't play. I don't change my bass strings out like v- hardly ever. Yeah. But like uh, Radiohead has a song called Everyone Can Play Guitar. And so it's like I started playing bass because literally everyone I knew growing up played the guitar. And if you wanted to be in a band, you had to play the bass. Yeah. Because everybody else was playing guitar. Yeah, everyone always grabbed those those solos and stuff. Exactly. I got really good at playing bass. And I was like, I could be in a lot of bands. Like I was getting called and people were like, yeah, you want to play and do this and do that? And I was like, I play bass. (laughs) Yeah, bass is
0: very, uh, I'd say they're the underrated member of the band because they got to keep that.
1: No one loves the bass player. Yeah. But yeah, they're always time. in the
0: back, but they have like that. It brings the mo- most oomph to the music, it fills it out. Yeah, but so people just don't understand that, that. That was when
1: I was probably watching Monty Python, I was playing bass. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> there were some really simple bass lines that somebody else had written. I just was playing because I was hired to do the job and I was just watching shows while I was playing bass. Yeah, <laughs> so before we jump into the uh,
0: other stuff that you create as far as artwork, because you said you do woodworking, yeah, yeah, yeah. and what, yeah. what kind of bands did you like growing up or like what you listen to now? Ooh, wow. Um, because I think. From what conversations I've had with you, what Spencers had with you, we kind of get the vibe that you don't really care for anything that new that comes out, unless that's <laughs> a wrong assessment. No, that's pretty, it's pretty. I know people like what they, what they grew up on, but
1: it's pretty accurate. I mean, I mean, growing up in a house where you're listening to like Motown, Soul, listening to jazz. My mom was huge into like New Wave. Um, new Wave, like
0: European, like metal stuff
1: new wave like is an 80s new wave yeah new wave british <laughs> like, yeah, metal uh, yeah, yeah. uh flock of seagulls yeah, devo yeah, yeah. etc so it's like i grew up with like a really like eclectic Pesh mode and all that stuff oh yeah I love that Def stuff Leopard. so i grew up with like a super eclectic like upbringing of music like yeah. all the stuff that came pre me and then when i was like a young kid i remember just sitting glued to the tv watching the new michael jackson videos when they drop primetime kind of stuff yeah, yeah yeah like uh the black or white video i remember sitting yep. in front of the tv and watching that going, i
0: remember this is I, I don't know awesome. if it was the year it came out it could have been on reruns but i remember the weirdest video or like i was like well this is like a crazy production was the uh the one in the egypt oh, with eddie murphy yeah what's that called it's like do you remember the time yeah yeah,
1: like, yeah yeah I, yeah i remember the ditty but like yeah no that was rad it was so crazy. Yeah. Like Billy Jean the, was a
0: good music video, but I, was, I think I was too young for that, but I remember seeing it when I was older.
1: Growing up on that, I mean, I think I liked the uh, Billy Joel, Free Willy song.
0: Was oh, that who plays at the end of the Free Willy? Yeah. Billy Joel? Yeah. My little brother loved Free Willy, <laughs> like to the point where, you know when you're a kid, you say what you want to be when you grow up, but you don't say it correctly because you can't really talk? Yeah. He loves SeaWorld. I just don't think he does anymore because of that, that documentary Blackfish, but no. yeah. uh, he used to say, I want to be Shamu when I grow up. But what he was really meaning was, I want to be a Shamu trainer. Yeah. But but as like yeah. a three-year-old, he's like, I, sh- I want to be Shamu. And that's I want to be Shamu. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I mean, growing up, listening to tons of different stuff, listening to that. Um, I remember distinctively getting um, Pablo Honey from Radiohead and Weezer's Blue Album in like 92, 93. So yeah. I was probably like...
0: I mean, you were only... Oh, How old are you? Uh, 30. Yeah, you're my age. Wait, when's your birthday? February. So you're like eight months older than me?
1: I don't know. I can't do the math. So I was five. I was five, six. Yeah, yeah. I had cool parents. So I was listening to Pablo Honey and, and the Blue Album. I Weezer, mean, yeah. When you listen to Say It Ain't So That Early, yeah. you're you're hooked. Yeah. Thing.
0: And I, I was, I would say I because my older brother had those cassettes in his house, I have vague memories of looking at cassettes and going through the, the flip <laughs> folds oh, yeah. of the lyrics yeah. and stuff like that. I didn't read them, but like. I just the imagery. I remember my brother had like this this case that you could zip up and you would have like a. It almost looked like a a laptop bag nowadays, but it was just for all for tape cassettes. And he had like the blue album from Weezer, and then he had some Pantera albums, and then I think he had one of the Red Hot Chili Pepper tapes where they're walking across Abbey Road, but they have socks on their wieners instead of yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just remember being around that, but it was definitely. My parents didn't like it because they were more old-fashioned. They're like, yeah. "Well, yeah, this, I mean, you he got lucky because you had you had older siblings. I'm an only yeah. child,
1: so it's like whatever I got into is kind of. So you, yeah, so what you probably- I got into so I got into that, and like my mom and my like grandfather got me like super or yeah, my grandfather listened to the Ramones, so it's like I listened to the Ramones. And growing up in Southern California, um, I remember going to like small venue gig things yeah. and seeing Blink One Eighty Two back.
0: Before they were big,
1: before they were big, Spencer said
0: he saw people at. There was a, they remodeled it and refurbished it. It's not as cool as now, but it used to be called the barn at UCR. Yeah, where my dad worked, and it was like a little. It was literally like a barn outside the campus, but that's where a lot of bands played. And Spencer says he remembers seeing Corn there before they were big. He remembers seeing, I think he said Weezer was there, and then he also remembers seeing Incubus play there before any of them were big. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, so that was like the early sort of phases for me, and then. Getting really big into like punk and like hardcore music. Yeah, just cause That's what I feel I mean, like too. everybody everybody has that like rebellious <laughs> phase, and once again, Southern California pops up, and so you have adolescence and um, the Descendants.
0: That's a punk band, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my so my coworker Gilbert's way into punk. He just su- went to the. Um a Punk Festival in Las Vegas. It was like last punk month. Punk Rock Bowling. Yep. And yeah. he, he was, there's like tons, tons of bands going on like over a weekend and he was like, saw Lagwag and whatnot. Yeah. So Yeah. So
1: all those bands are cool. And then, so I graduated, well, not really graduated. It's kind of sidestepping because I don't really think that it, they're necessarily better or worse, but like um, the emo Scene of music, yeah, the the pop punk emo e stuff, so like My Chemical Romance. No, 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 not that far. Um, oh, earlier than that, yeah, like uh, Taking Back Sunday, uh, Save okay. the Day, The Get Up Kids, Reggie and the Full Effect. Just which are still stuff. bands that I listen to, and yeah. still like love and I don't know. It kind of just. Stick with I, I kinda it. I kind of peaked at high school, I think. Yeah, yeah. When it came to music. And so everything that's come out since then, it's like, oh, yeah, it's good, but it's not as good as I became that guy. No, you're not like the, they're it's like, just not as good as the Blue Album or Pinkerton. Fourth al- oh, don't start about Weezer. <laughs> Let's just not bring that up, because I feel like that's one of those bands that should have quit. Because sometimes it's better to just quit on top. Yeah, but that's like, why I uh, heard like the white album. It's like, I think the last four Weezer albums, uh, talking to Spencer about it, it's like the last four Weezer albums, I think you could put together like an EP yeah, yeah, With the yeah. good songs, and the rest of it's like, whoa. Well, what yeah, are because you doing?
0: they, they kind of return to form a little bit on that uh, everything will be okay in the end. A couple, a couple of songs. Yeah, yeah. And
1: then you have the whole other album, and you're like, I don't want to listen to it. Yeah, any of I
0: think their last solid album, people could argue, that had, I guess, more of their old fashioned or at least good songs was the red album. Yeah. And then after that, they kind of yeah. got really poppy. Well, the mean. funny thing is everyone got pissed at them they got poppy. So they came out with that Everything Will Be Okay in the End, which had more of their old school stuff like that, Back to the Shack. And, and then some, they were pissed because- And didn't, then they went back to it with the up. White Album. Yeah. And then they came out with another album I didn't even know about, where it's like the front cover like Some Girl in Space. Yeah, it just came out last Daydream, year. Yeah, and the White
1: um, Album and Hurley and Ratitude, they were all. Yeah, yeah. And then they. I've just, listened to them all, so I can actually my opinion on yeah, Weezer yeah, yeah. Is, is is factual it's because grounded. I've listened to it.
0: Well, then they just re- covered two songs: yeah. Africa
1: by Toto. Well, anything by Toto is great. Yeah, Rosanna which I think those are pretty good. I like Toto. But so. then
0: Rivers Cuomo, the
1: singers like teasing stuff about a black album. Rivers Cuomo grew up listening to like Kiss. Well, he's like, didn't
0: he like go to Harvard?
1: Yeah, he loves Kiss and he spent yeah, yeah. like a good portion of his life studying Nirvana. And he has a songbook, like, This is How You Write a Popular Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on chord progressions. This is how the verse, chorus, bridge goes. Yep. Really influenced by all that music. And he's like, Yeah, this is my hit book. Like, if I follow the... No, my playbook. If I follow the formula in this book, I'm going to write a hit. Yeah. And it's worked thus far. I mean, yeah. I hate Beverly Hills, but everyone else seems yeah, to know. know it and love it. That was a
0: good album. Make believe that right? it's like we we're all on drugs, but yeah. I saw Weezer live two years ago when they played with Panic at the Disco, which I'm not a big fan of. Ooh. But it was at the USANA, and I I go to concerts or I guess shows. The concerts <laughs> are like Justin Timberlake. I go to shows where it's like, the one you went to like it's 50 feet away from the band it's more intimate and there's like a lot of noise yeah i'm not into the whole amphitheater where like there's a giant production some of my friends it really, go, it really depends on the it style really depends on what it is yeah because when i was in like i, like, I would like i would have liked to be 50 feet away from weezer but i yeah. was actually on the lawn section where i was watching them on a giant screen yeah
1: i've seen them up close and i've seen them like far away but like i saw the gorillas Yeah, and that was a huge production. Well, do you even see the band when they play live, or they just yeah, yeah, yeah? They had the band in front, they had big screens up top, so they had like um, Paul Simonon and I can dropping all the names. Guys from the Clash, Uh, De La Soul was there. um, The National um, Arabian Orchestra was there. Like. They had everybody there. It was like yeah. it was huge. It was a production. It was a thing. It's like I didn't want to be close because I couldn't take it all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then like seeing Weezer, I saw I think last time we saw Weezer, they were playing with Taking Back Sunday and Blink One Eighty Two. So talking oh, about was a high school big, show. Yeah, know, like, right? It was like blast Nostalgia. from my past. Nostalgia. Yeah, but I was like, this is yeah. I don't I don't want to see these kind of bands huge like Blink 182 is doing some like big Vegas thing like yeah. sold out and I, Doesn't I was like, seem fun to me. How can you? There's only three guys on stage. I know what are you watching. They're like little ants. What are you watching? That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, so most of the bands I grew up listening to in like sort of like my formidable junior high, yeah. high school years, love those guys. And they're all starting to come back. So it's like. Yeah, this is my this many year anniversary, like the Get Up kids played Salt Lake. Oh, like, and that's a neat other day.
0: nowadays like, where they, bands now have been around long enough where they'll play one of their old albums all the way through, like yeah. a 10 year anniversary or something like that. that. It's yeah, yeah, it's entirety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's entirety. That the Between
1: the berry and Me, isn't that?
0: Yeah, they did one, they did Colors, and then Protest the Hero, we went, because they didn't come up here, they're not too popular in, in Utah, but we went to San Diego. At the Soma, Soma, yeah, and they played Fortress all the way through, it, which was a big album in two thousand seven. Yeah, I was those, on my mission for that though. So those, I,
1: those are like good; those are good shows. Yeah, More yeah. bands need to do that.
0: Yeah, I know. That's, I really like it. Play um, the albums I like. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, like? Oh, I don't really want to show up for this album. Uh, um, with the uh, so you make other woodworks. I see your Instagram. You're making yes. furniture and whatnot. Now, do you do it like as a job or is this also a hobby?
1: Um, when I moved here, was, I was actually the head of design for a furniture company here. Nice. So I design furniture as a job. I make furniture as a hobby slash uh, job. I,
0: so you just have like a factory you work at or a warehouse? Or? I worked at a factory here. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, I have my own shop, and so I make furniture for like clients and for myself and do that kind of stuff. So I enjoy doing that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's a lot of socially engaged, large sculpture installation stuff. Because I'm one of those like artsy fartsy folks. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I gotta have a little studio and the like, little
1: talks about like existentialism and gets really into wears a
0: turtleneck and has a wine glass or a grape juice and <laughs> talks about how great your sculpture is. I've it... had to
1: do a lot of like artist talks where really? I'll, or or do like. Going to other like universities, colleges, or whatever, because I used to I used to be a professor. And oh, really? So, yeah, it's so kind of it, like my buddy Mike, where he taught at Chico State, and oh yeah, yeah, it was cool. I taught sculpture and three dimensional design, foundational courses. Um, so it's like I really am into that like art thing, and then sort of in my master's program, started to like bring music and art together. Yeah. And so I'd create like giant walls that all have like touch sensor, accelerometer kind of things like that. And it was a giant synthesizer that covered an entire wall. So and people you would just, just people go touch it and would just, it just makes go touch music different and things and it would start making noises and sounds. And
0: so it's like the technology of what creates music, but then on the wall as where you would typically paint something. Or yeah, art like into art
1: or, or like turning a giant wall into a guitar. So running a string from one end to the other and building pickups behind. Now the those wall. are expensive strings. So people come <laughs> and will like play the string and it yeah. has a pickup and they're doing slides and just trying to bring. The art and music together, I felt like they I've always kept them really separate, and so it's like a lot of my work has been bringing bringing them together. together, yeah,
0: so now, one of the last kind of things I want to talk about is uh kind of what your life's at right now. you said you gave up the lifestyle of a rock star air quotes uh to kind of focus on things that are more important to you, which would be you know your. Your, the religion you follow or the gospel you follow, uh family, having kids and whatnot. Now, as far as your career's going, like do
1: you wish like you were like still doing music stuff that heavily? I, I think there's a there's a little little thing in the back of my head saying, Well, what if where, look at where your friends are now. Look at the friends who have like Custom signature guitars from big guitar companies. Yeah. and
0: going to those conferences where they show off their gear and whatnot. Tons
1: of what's the big conference? That's Nam. There? Yep, NAM's Nam great. Nam, uh, going yeah, to Nam. Um, yeah, they're like tons. They've got the money. They're buying houses in Southern California, not like in dumpy areas. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> like, Whoa, they're making actual like real human money. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is big stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in between. Jobs like legit jobs or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, adult jobs, air quotes, adult, no. yes, yeah. adult <laughs> jobs for sure. I'm in between those. Uh, I've got like four degrees, and like, really, I've only kind of used, used one them. of them ever. And so, it's like, yeah, go to school, get degrees, um, don't do anything with them. I, yeah. think, I think when I got my master's degree, I had like a wobbly table that I didn't build, and I used it to stop the table from wobbling for a while. <laughs> Like in its leather case. Yeah. So, like, that's kind of what they turned into. Um, Your actual degrees, like the diplomas and the everything? Actual diploma in the leather bound sort of folder thing. I just shoved it into the wobbly table. <laughs> to keep it secure? Yeah. Like, it seemed like a better use than what I was using it for. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've got a lot of like applications in. I've done a lot of like site visits, a lot of. Stuff. And now, what
0: kind of jobs are you looking for? Uh,
1: I want to be a professor. It's kind of why I got my master's. Okay. And um, that's the terminal degree in art. There is no doctorate in. Yeah. In sculpture.
0: Which is nice, because then you don't have
1: to go for more schooling. I did a three and a half year program, oh. so it was kind of like, it is <laughs> so a lot of schooling. Did. You just didn't have the doctor at the yeah, end. Yeah, they just don't give you the doctor title. Dr. I mean, I art always wanted drove. to be an art doctor and write prescriptions for bad art. <laughs> 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 like, how can you say that? It's it's my opinion. I was like, no, I'm a doctor, but I don't get to do that. I'm just, I think it's better that I don't have a doctorate, because I would be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I really want to be a professor. And What schools
0: are you applying at? Basically anything have, that
1: has a spot. Here in Utah? Just all over. I applied like, for things in Utah and, and in California, California and Canada and Sweden and whatever. So wherever it takes you? I'm, become, I'm becoming known for the kind of woodworking that I do, which is kind of something that was done in, in ad nauseum in like the 60s and 50s, like the mid-century. Yeah. Bent lamination, plywood, kind of wood furniture. And it was kind of a lost art over the last couple of decades and yeah people are starting to be more interested not a lot of people uh, know how to do it
0: so the type of furniture they used to make in the 60s was more with plywood
1: uh, some of it was bent slapped lemmish, some fabric like, on it no no just like crazy weird bent stuff that oh. they like heat and then sort of like the eames kind of came up with it and the altos in finland and then the eames sort of sold the tech and used the tech with the government and made like plywood bent plywood wings for the like World War II and military and stuff like that. Oh. So, like, that technology kind of spawned from furniture. Oh. so I, like, learned how to do that kind of stuff. And so as people want to learn how to do it again, like, I'm sort of... Trying to pioneer People are talking to me again. Yeah. Saying, hey, you know how to do it. You actually learned from some of those people before they died. Yeah. Like, what do you know? (laughs) So then, so you want to be a professor. I want to teach. I mean, I've spent my life learning gaining all this knowledge of random stuff and it's like what better because one of my professors was like it it was her like the thing that she enjoyed most about teaching was all of the knowledge that she had gained passing it on to people like me yeah. and what I took her knowledge and added my own flavor or added something and pushed it to something it that else? she didn't think about was capable of doing with what she had mm. and I think that's kind of what innovation technology, what music, what art is kind of like why it's still alive, why it's still viable is because somebody is taking what they've seen done well, it's adding what's something been invented and, and then and pushing it, it to something it. else. Because, I mean, the guitar's been around for a while. Yeah. And they, eventually the guitar might be obsolete. I mean, when my grandparents were my age, the accordion was the thing. Oh, yeah. And who plays the accordion besides me and a couple other people? Yeah. <laughs> um, well,
0: what's so my brother, younger brother. David's always asking: Is is the inventor more important, or the innovator? And you could make an argument for both, but I I'd think say- so. But
1: I mean, the guitar will go away, but the the music, the creation, the the inspiration behind all of that stuff is going to last. It's going to yeah. keep going. So I really have always wanted to teach and share that because one, I don't want that knowledge and information that i have to die with me. Yeah. because it's already it almost died with the people who i learned from. Yeah. i was able to sort of get it out of them before they before they, before they left. Before they left. And i want to pass that on cuz i think that what could happen. i don't know. my brain doesn't process too far like outside the box. Yeah. when it comes to like those kind of things i could never invent a tv. But yeah, yeah, it yeah. took somebody doing something, part of it, to keep going for that guy to have invented the TV. And now they've just innovated
0: like crazy to where now they're...
1: We have it in our pockets. Yeah. who knows what's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the guy who invented the iPhone couldn't have seen what could happen, what might happen in the next 10 years. because now... But he had to make the iPhone first Yeah, to get there. So it's kind of like... When smartphones weren't even a
0: thing, and now they're just commonplace. Yeah. So then, obviously, you're still in the middle of... I guess you would say, air quotes, I don't know, trial of trying to discover where you want to go next. That's the thing that's kind of scary about sacrifice, because that's definitely what you did, The kind of the whole point of this podcast, this episode, is that you sacrificed a lifestyle with friends, which some people would deem, you know, a cool lifestyle, playing in a band and whatnot, but you did it for uh, what you thought was more important priorities, but right now... Obviously, you have your children. You have your wife. There's the fruits of sacrifice. But as far as a career goes, you're still in the middle of that. And I, for me, too, kind of trying to figure out where life's going to take me, and you just don't – like I didn't even know like six months ago. I wasn't planning on living in my brother's basement. But yeah, life throws freaking crap at you, and you got to figure out how it goes and just never – I mean, because I, I liked my life. I lived in a condo. I had <laughs> with my wife. We traveled yeah. more and we say we were saving some money. But it, when we realized we were going to have a kid, we kind of had to sacrifice that freedom and having our own place and that space to kind of – I mean, my definition of sacrifice is, you know, giving something up now that's good for hopefully something better in the future. Yeah, and yeah for sure. when you're in the middle of that, it's very frustrating because you don't know when that future is going to come.
1: I, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but – Oh, I for sure. I don't think I ever planned on living in Utah. Yeah. I I was here in the MTC for like three weeks and that's like all of my Utah living has ever happened before this. And yeah, I like to think that everything that happens is is It's for For a reason reason, we've heard that, but like it always ends up panning out in my life in in positive ways so yeah. Like, yeah i've met you i've met spencer i've met a lot of really cool people that i wouldn't have met necessarily just visiting utah
0: yeah you'd have to actually be here and
1: yeah. who knows what's going to come from this but i'm sure that years down the road i'll like call somebody up call you guys up and it'll have made sense yeah why we are here right now when we are and it seems to keep happening so like i'll get called up and say hey uh remember when you did this you played this Piece on this or you maybe show this or whatever like that. Or something. Yeah, and it's like, I need something else like that. Or, hey, do you want to fly out to LA and be a part of this thing? Yeah, It's like a week, and it's like, it's happened. And I was like, this is crazy. But it all happened but for a happened reason. But it happened for a reason, and it makes the most sense later.
0: Yeah, in <laughs> retrospect, which yeah. is always tough because it's like people always like, yeah, when you look back at your life or look back at certain time periods of your life, yeah, you can clearly point out like, Oh, this happened because of this, and this happened because of this. But when you're in the middle of it, trying to figure crap out, it's not the most fun, you know. Yeah, I'm just having a starting my family and trying to figure out what I want to do as far as a career. It's, it's very, uh, I guess you'd say, frustrating. Obviously, but eventually I know it will pan out. It's just not knowing when. And as humans, not knowing when is freaking one of the most frustrating things. But
1: oh, patience! Goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah, and no, I, I don't have it. But this has been a good, a good trial, a good lesson. And in that, I mean, I think previous generations kind of had it all like what I like to think of laid out. It made way more sense. You, like, well, yeah, back in the served in the, day, in the military, came back, yeah. got a GI bill, had a family, had a house, got your school paid for. You had like exactly 2.5 kids and everything was like great. Yeah. It's kinda like what well, like, kind of like with my grandparents. Or like one person,
0: they stayed a career for their whole life kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, I. That's not. That's not how life is anymore. No. Well,
0: and also it's funny because <laughs> my wife's grandpa, he passed away a few years ago. He was like ninety something. His wife, her grandma is still alive. She's ninety three, I think. And he, we found out as we talked to him, that she didn't even realize this that he was retired at forty two, because he was in World War II. and then I think he was a police officer, and then also worked for a library. So he had a lot of these pensions and whatnot. So he was able to retire at forty two. So yeah, my wife was like. crazy. Uh, I didn't realize this, but now that I look back on it, every single time I hung out with Grandpa, he was never working. He so was my entire life, not. he was already retired. Yeah. <laughs> but that just doesn't happen nowadays, and I don't know if it's because the way the the world works as far as finances and the all this other crazy stuff and schooling. But, yeah, having to stick with this is and get through this little trial in life where you're trying to figure crap out for your family is a lot of pressure, but at the same time... I guess I have it will work out. It's just not knowing when. Yeah. And that's that's the hardest part about sacrificing is you know that something better is gonna is gonna turn out. You just don't know how it's gonna turn out. You don't know in what form it's gonna come. But when it does come, you do recognize it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But. You hope you recognize it. Yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, but uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Do sure. you have anything else you wanted to plug in or anything like that? I'm gonna go follow the Grick on Instagram. If you want to <laughs> see some of his cool art.
1: <laughs> uh just. I try to be a good person. Yeah. I like to push that with other people. I try to understand where other people are coming from before you... Label form them. Form opinions, yeah. label them, and things can make way more sense. You never know when the guy who uh, is really good at making furniture will come in handy for other aspects of your life.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's a good plug-in. Uh, I'll have to have you on the podcast again to talk about some other topics, but... Uh, for sure. be fun. You only live down the street, so... Yes. We'll have to get Spencer on next time, because I always feel like... Uh, there's a lot more energy sometimes when there's multiple people because you just never know with more mouths <laughs> what the crap is going to come out of people's mouths. So yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah.
0: So uh, anyway, thanks for enjoying or tuning into the the John Lyon podcast. I swear one day, guys, I will get a intro and maybe an outro <laughs> with music. Yeah, with music. <laughs> uh, but until then, this has been episode forty-five, and we'll catch you later. Peace.